Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. I have a special guest today. She's been on before. It's Laurel. Hello. Hey. So our topic today is a little bit different from what I usually do, but I watched this documentary on Netflix called White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch, and it was so fascinating, and I knew Laurel was into fashion, so I kind of sent it over to Laurel, and we thought we'd chat about it. So what did you think when you, kind of initial impression when you watched that documentary? Um, it was interesting. I mean, I had seen some of some of the stuff about uh, the, you know, the creator of Abercrombie, or not creator, I guess the whatever, uh, being kind of, a, you know, discriminatory and stuff, but I never really paid that close attention to all that. Um, so yeah, I was, you know, just a little like, oh, I didn't, you know, really know the full extent of it. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Abercrombie & Fitch is a pretty old company. Um, They used to do um, outdoorsy stuff, almost L.L. Bean type stuff. And and people like Teddy Roosevelt bought from Abercrombie & Fitch. But in 1992, it was doing very badly. And Mike Jeffries took over as CEO. It it was bought out and then a man named Mike Jeffries took over. And this is the guy that we're going to talk about quite a bit. So did you ever go to an Abercrombie and Fitch when you were in high school? (laughs) No, I didn't. Uh, I I think I was, I think I was scared to go in there. It, it didn't look inviting to me. I, and by that time, I would have been into, like, vintage stuff a lot more than mm. that. So, uh, yeah, no, I never I never went in. Uh, I just, I think even, like, the smell of it, I wouldn't have been able to stay. Mm. Yeah, I remember as a kid, whenever we were in the mall, my mom would hustle us past it. Because <laughs> it, for those who never saw an Abercrombie & Fitch they were shuttered um, kind of dark brown shutters on all of the walls. And the only thing you could kind of see or hear or experience from the Abercrombie was a big poster of a shirtless dude with like a rippling six pack club music drifting out of the store along with this terrible smell of some frat house musk perfume that they sprayed everywhere (laughs) and it really it really did the whole branding every part of the marketing was cool sex and um I don't know how you would say kind of this exclusionary um you only get in here if you're if you're pretty and rich and cool but the fashion was accessible the price, the pricing was accessible to the middle class. Did you ever see people around kind of wearing Abercrombie and Fitch? And if so, what'd you think? Um, I mean, for the most part, like I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm a, the thing is I grew up in, in, in overseas. So I might've mm-hmm. seen some, 
So if I saw people wearing Abercrombie and Fitch, it was probably mostly just like, uh, you know, the stuff that might have gotten, you know, rejected and then sent mm-hmm. to Asia or like fake stuff. Um, you know, I had a few things like kids things that said Abercrombie Fitch on them, but they were like, you know, like, uh, you know, sweatpants and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember knowing that the label was inaccessible to me. It was just a little bit outside of my price range, but it was also just a level of cool that I could not attain. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 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 I mean, I guess I think it for me, it's like that was never something like I would never cared about brand names at mm-hmm. all. So like for me, I saw it and I was just like, why would you care about the, why would you care about the brand name? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting Abercrombie and Fitch under under Mike Jeffries was very intentional about marketing to cool kids and to sell cool as a brand. And so in the documentary and for anyone who was kind of around during its its glory days, um, all of the marketing was of very, very pretty people and, and barely clothed pretty people. But also they actively recruited for retail jobs, for, for any Abercrombie and Fitch job in the mall or elsewhere, uh, very pretty, attractive, popular people. So they would go to like a frat house and pick the most popular, most attractive guy and get him to work at Abercrombie and wear the Abercrombie clothes. And so they really did influence a whole generation of kids to associate their brand with coolness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think if I had been, you know, uh, more aware of that, I definitely wouldn't have fit into that mold at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just from watching the documentary, like, I was not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a weird... It, kids in high school are so insecure anyway, and so you start to kind of sell them this aspirational thing, and so many companies do it. Um, give them a reason to feel insecure, but then say, if you just buy this product, mm-hmm. you can buy it yourself. And they really did tie that exclusivity and that coolness in with highly sexualized marketing. Mm -hmm. They're one of, they're kind of known for selling clothes by showing nearly fully unclothed models. It was, they they did it before it was cool (laughs) for other (laughs) companies to do it. Like, what was it, Nike that was selling bras by? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Adidas, I think that was, yeah. Oh, yeah, Adidas. See, the ad didn't work because I don't even remember what brand. <laughs> you don't remember the brand, just the, just the ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this went pretty deep as far as the way that Abercrombie marketed. Um, 
it went into some pretty high standards for how people were supposed to look who worked mm-hmm. for Abercrombie. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, well, <laughs> sorry. Just the, the standards being um, of just being like really, oh yeah, you know, like the, the sort of the, the almost checklist kind of things they had mm-hmm. to determine um, the attractiveness that they, you know, use for hiring um, and which, yeah, that's quite, yeah, I can't imagine you know, trying, want, you know, wanting to work there as a teen and be, like, the insecurity you'd feel just mm-hmm. from from being re- rejected, um, mm-hmm. you, it would tell you, oh, okay, I'm not attractive. Um, and especially as, I don't know, thinking of it as, like, teenagers or younger adults, it's just, like, you know, focusing on how attractive they are and the sexualization that's just kind of ugh. Mm-hmm. it was such a culture thing that I think as conservatives sometimes we we focus so much on how laws affect mm-hmm. things and we forget and I think we're starting to wake up to it now how much really big companies affect culture yeah when they, mm-hmm. um, they have a strong within the company and, and they push that out into the world. And so here is a quote um, from Mike Jeffries. I remember when this quote kind of the news broke because he, he kind of said the quiet power out loud after a lot of years of doing what he was doing quietly. And, um, and I remember there was a, a lot of backlash about this at the time, but he said, he told a reporter, in every school, there are the cool and the popular kids, and then there are the not so cool kids. Candidly, we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive, all-American kid with a great attitude and lots of friends. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes, and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. Those companies that are in trouble are trying to target everybody, young, old, fat, skinny, but then you become totally vanilla. You don't alienate anybody, but you don't excite anybody either. Do you remember when that that kind of broke? Yeah, uh, I do remember seeing about that. And at the time, I didn't really pay that much attention. I kind of thought maybe people were overreacting about it when I first Mm -hmm. saw it. I was like, oh, it's probably just outrage you know over people you know him saying some stuff but yeah I guess I guess with the with a fuller context of it all it's uh quite the quite the marketing strategy I mean to yeah because then the people who who do fit in feel really good about wearing it Mm -hmm. but the people you know, so it makes them feel really good because that makes them the cool kids. And so they want they want to have this. But um, at the at the expense of of really being very discriminatory in in a very superficial way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how 
much they got away with for how long. And let's talk a little bit more about how deep this went. So um, it wasn't, he says in, in there, all American kid. And when it came down to it, um, and this is, this is well established, he meant not just really attractive, not just skinny, but also white. And um, I know, I know some of my audience is probably going to bristle at that, but this was well established. In 2005, a class action lawsuit suit came against Abercrombie with uh, allegations of racism in hiring and firing. So sometimes it was somebody who hadn't been hired in the first place. And sometimes it was somebody who had been hired and then um, dropped off the schedule or kind of hidden away in the back uh, for no apparent reason. Um, It's worth noting here that Abercrombie was kind of known for, there were even sketches done in mockery of the fact that they only hired based on appearance. They didn't hire or retain employees based on performance. The employees were even almost encouraged to be rude to you because what they were selling was coolness and aloofness, not welcomingness. So um, people who didn't look right weren't hired or retained. Um, And it didn't matter what their work ethic was. It didn't matter what their... um, experience level was and so this class action lawsuit was brought from black kids latino kids asian american kids um, and a muslim woman as well who had i guess been hired and then told she couldn't wear her hijab um and in 2005 abercrombie and fitch settled um they paid quite a lot of money and didn't admit any guilt but they settled out of court very quickly. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's hard because to an extent, um, ugh, like there's something that just makes me so angry about like mm-hmm. the, like, like looking at someone who, you know, isn't white and being like, no, that's not the people I want buying my clothes, wearing mm-hmm. my clothes. That's not what we want representing it. This isn't represent the all American, you know, st- ideal we want to portray. Like there's something that is just ugh, it's just gross. And so, but then there's another part of me that's like, is this best settled legally? I don't know. I guess that's the thing that I always wonder about. Is like, mm-hmm. I feel like at this point, I know for sure, but. A, a business with those practices, you know, maybe that's for, for, for at the time, you know, people weren't as they didn't really care the same. But I, I think that, you know, a lot of that is just like, I think a lot of people would just avoid a business like that if mm-hmm. And they're, they, you know, they, they have a whole bunch of people who would just not shop there. And as that population grows, mm-hmm. um, and as people feel more sympathetic towards them, you're going to have people automatically um, not wanting to shop at a place that, that is acting like that. So, yeah. but, you know, I, 
I do get that, you know, some of it is, you know, now that it is, it is in a, you know, are in the law now, basically. So them doing that, um, so overtly, Mm -hmm. um, kind of shocking in a way. I mean, not that, you know, like I not oh it's shocking that there's racism it's just it's always shocking when i see someone Mm -hmm. act you know when you see that to that just overtly and someone just being able to get away with it so for so long Mm -hmm. i think it's it's really interesting because right now we have a lot of conversation happening uh, in the public square about systemic racism and whether or not we have a systemic race problem in america and i think a situation like this kind of illustrates how it's I can I can start to understand where that came from, where the idea of systemic racism came from. Because the conservative argument, of course, is that it's not systemic. We just have a few bad apples. We have a few racist mm-hmm. people out there. And I think in a situation like this, we, we sometimes we forget that if the bad apple, if the one bad apple has enough influence, then you do have a little bit of a system of racism going on for many years, from 1992 to 2005 and even beyond. You know, you could, Abercrombie likes to pretend that, that the things that they were doing wrong ended in 2005, but there were there's some evidence that some of it continued beyond mm-hmm. that, but even just from 1992 to 2005, that's, that's several years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's like 13 years of a system of racism that was, you know, every mall in America had this, this thing in it. Every high school in America had this, idea that Abercrombie was cool and Abercrombie was just white mm-hmm. and pretty and um, the opposite of body positivity and all of that um, which is another mm-hmm. conversation so I think it's worth whenever whenever someone says there's systemic racism in America I think it's always important instead of just saying no there's not to say okay what are you referring to like mm-hmm. yeah is there something we can fix here mm-hmm. um it's it's when people say when people complain but then they won't actually name a problem when they won't actually give a specific example of something beyond a, a bad apple example yeah you know somebody yeah, think... was mean to me today Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because I, I think when you use big terms like that, like the system, mm-hmm. um, it can, can feel like this this phantom, you know, phantom discrimination, phantom racism mm-hmm. that, that you can't do anything about. Um, yeah. I, I think, but when, you know, but that, you know, that does, and that kind of makes it a thing that you know you're now you're arguing arguing about whether it exists or not instead of going after the actual specific target Mm -hmm. where you say look at this um and you know where it actually is provable racism not Mm -hmm. um just your you know it's felt you know because there's there's a sort of felt racism or 
where it's just this, you know, where it could be an, it, it you assume that this of the other person because mm-hmm. things don't look equitable or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think sometimes it is worth exploring that. And, you know, if, if it's, if there is a feeling of racism there, we can explore it and then get to the bottom of it. Is it, it, was it racist? Was it not? Um, but when, and so I think, I think we can't just dismiss it out of hand altogether, you know, just like, oh, well, psh, you know, cause you're always saying this. So I'm just gonna not dismiss everything, you know, boy who cried wolf kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, on the other hand, I, I think, I think, I think it, you know, just like using systemic racism kind of, kind of hurts the issue that they're trying to fight for in a way because mm-hmm. it makes it too big and broad and, 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 and out of our reach um, because they're not naming specifics. It's just the system, the system. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes a political club to hit your enemies yeah. with. Yeah. Uh-huh. Another thing worth noting in this situation is um, we talked a little bit about how sexualized the marketing was if you walked into and I I did when I was a little bit older just to get an idea of it if you walked into an Abercrombie it was just shirtless guys with six packs everywhere there were a few women sprinkled in there but most of the marketing was um, 20 young 20s guys Uh, very very hyper sexualized and um it's interesting to me that all of that was coming down from a leadership team. Mike Jeffries um, was gay, closeted, but, but well-established as gay. And his primary photographer uh, for, those, for those marketing campaigns, Bruce Weber, also gay. And alongside the racism allegations six male models came and made allegations against bruce weber uh, for sexual misconduct for um, using his position of power um, in those situations to put hands on them to grope them to invite them over to his house to fire them if they didn't come to his house it was a lot it was very very shady did you have thoughts when you saw that part of the documentary um i mean besides the fact that you know it's just i mean the fashion industry in general i feel like it's so you know like so full of 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 this of really messed up stuff Mm -hmm. um a lot of uh you know just a lot of how that industry runs is messed up but yeah it's it's interesting when it when it talked about them being you know gay um i was just thinking about how the fashion industry is basically run by by gay men um Mm -hmm. men women's um it doesn't matter but and that's just interesting to me I don't, I don't know if I have not, I, I just, I guess I always thought, found it weird that, that, that they would have, that 
they were so in you know like a gay man having um being in charge of like women's fashion because so many <laughs> of um that so much of women's fashion is dictated by men who are not attracted to women and I have always I've I found that really odd. Um, so it's not women who are designing clothes for that you know for women. It's not mm-hmm. men designing clothes that they think are attractive for women. It's it's really a gay man's standard, which is mm-hmm. it, it's fascinating. And I'm not saying that you know like you know that they can't know what would look good on a woman right i just always found that weird like why why are they designing clothes for 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 me you know yeah (laughs) yeah and and you wonder why you never get pockets and it's all the gay people's fault that's why (laughs) (laughs) um when you talk about a systemic problem um this is this is also a system of you could make an argument that this is a system of homosexual men sexualizing an entire um industry Mm. of of clothing um i i thought this was particularly interesting and kind of scary just because he was directly marketing to high school kids and young college Mm -hmm. kids um and creating a huge amount of influence in what was cool, what was thought to be cool in the standard yeah. of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um that's yeah, it's just seeing just yeah, like I remember seeing one of those Abercrombie like bags and I was like, this mm. is what teenagers <laughs> are buying? <laughs> like this is kind of gross. <laughs> um yeah, but you know and and it's interesting yeah i i wonder i i just i wonder because like i don't want to like sound like i'm being like oh these these gay men are just you know <laughs> like that's uh, i don't want to come across like that um but also it, it you know so i wonder if it's just that in general that culture like the pride cult you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of this open sexuality about it mm-hmm. and and since they have I, such a big hold on the fashion industry i wonder if that plays a part in why fashion is so openly sexual mm-hmm. or if they are attracted to fashion because of that you know it's like the oh. chicken and the egg thing um, Interesting. So I was curious if they, you know, if it was, if they were attracted to it because of that, because that's this, it's like your clothes are one of the ways you can express yourself most openly to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So I would, could see why, why people who felt, you know, who, who, who want to express their sexuality would go into the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it also seems to be the case that a lot of um, LGBTQ culture is incredibly looks oriented. Like Mm -hmm. your, your gay communities can be some of your least body body positive communities. Um, Oh yeah. That is, yeah. So uh, heavy focus on the externals. 
Yeah, that is interesting because there is this, you know, the, there's this, there's the stereotypes about how gay men dress mm -hmm. so much better um, and everything. And that is an interesting thing is that it does seem like that stuff is often so much like, you know, and, and I think gay men are often attracted to very muscular men in a way that women usually aren't, you know, mm -hmm. women like fit men, but gay men like really fit men yeah you really know. cut um i'm just i sorry if this is if this is no no, no. Do. um good. you know any gay person who might be listening who's like i don't i'm not trying to say everyone i i, I always feel bad making generalizations i don't want anyone to think um but yeah you know and, and so I, that 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 could play into the why you know like the models that they would choose for Abercrombie um yeah very it, it's almost it seemed to me from from the documentary that the racism was incidental to the larger issue of being incredibly looks focused that there was like one thing that the leadership really wanted to see. And that was really cut, really attractive white boys. And uh, that was just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I don't, I don't know. I've never really found that that attractive, but it's probably just me. So like if they were not marketing off of like, you know, because so often the scantily dressed women are to, you know, in a way, market to men. But these yeah. men, like these, these the, the, the guys that they would use for these models, I, I almost wonder if it was, it was marketing to, to gay men um, in a way, even mm. if it was sub, you know, like what they say in the, you know, in the documentary, they talk about this, you know. Um, because that's that's the, that's that's that ideal is, I mean, I, I got there are women who find that attractive. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, but I I really do think that is often the ideal for so many gay men that I've seen um, is just that that build. Mm. Isn't it interesting that the the gay male ideal is a really cut guy. And the the lesbian female ideal is a masculine girl. Yeah, I, that is that is the thing that's all that I've always found interesting. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, um, it, it it is interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> I've thought of, yeah, I've, I don't know I was about to say I've thought about that a lot but that sounds funny um but, but, I, but I have yeah no I you know that is a thing because uh um yeah and I I think that there are, at this point in the culture there's you know some of those stereotypes might not fit the same because there's this rising you know, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, in general, that has been the case that you, that there's this certain these certain looks. Um, 
but then yeah like lesbian women tend you know would tend to be more masculine um gay men would tend to be both you know they might act a little more effeminate but then they were really often really fit mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh so if you're if you're listening and um you are interested in this um documentary once again it's called white hot the rise and fall of abercrombie and fitch and you can find it on netflix uh not that i'm endorsing netflix because i'm not netflix is the worst and i (laughs) definitely uh, use a different login i don't pay for it so (laughs) and neither does laurel um thank you so much for coming on laurel Mm -hmm. um you want to share your a twitter handle with the audience um yes uh my twitter handle is at strangeland elf um that's strangeland underscore elf um yep wonderful um thank you so much for coming on and i will talk to you later okay see you on twitter see ya